Welcome to today's episode of the All Things Podcast. I am super excited to introduce you to two new Redemption Press authors of the She Writes for Him, Black Voices of Wisdom. During the first half of the podcast, you'll meet Mercy Lokulutu, and in the second half, you'll meet Dr. Evelyn Taylor. They both will share their story from the She Writes for Him, Black Voices of Wisdom, as well as their incredible Romans 8:28 stories. So first things first, let me introduce Mercy to you. Mercy is originally from Nigeria and carries with her a rich cultural and spiritual heritage and a passion to teach and preach the Bible. She was ordained at Celebration Church in Florida in 2002 and is committed to building the local church globally along with her husband, Marcus, and their two wonderful children, Isaiah and Ava Pauline. And here is some wonderful little known facts about Mercy. She graduated from the University of North Florida with a degree in nursing and is currently getting a master's degree in psychiatry in Dallas. She loves reading books and eating dark chocolate, preferably done together. Her husband is originally from the Democratic Republic of Congo and speaks three languages. They are teaching their kids both French and English. So let's get this conversation rolling. Well, Mercy, welcome to the All Things Podcast. It is an absolute pleasure to have you on today to hear a little bit more about your story, your chapter in the new She Writes for Him, Black Voices of Wisdom, and just for our listeners to get a little bit of a sneak peek into how God works all things together for good in your life. So welcome today. Thank you so much for having me, Athena. I'm so excited to get to join all the other authors and and guests that you've had on this show and um, just to share my story and, and share how the Lord has worked in and through my life. It's an honor. Thank you for having me. You bet. So let's start with, you know, we've all got lots of Romans 8, 28 stories mm-hmm. in our lives if we've been a believer for any length mm-hmm. of time. Mm-hmm. So just Pick one that will give us a little glimpse into how God works in your life. Yeah, you know, uh, the minute you said Romans eight twenty eight, it brought me way back to being in a mo- in a room where I, I. You have to know my backdrop is that I was raised by a preacher woman in Nigeria in the nineteen nineties. Wow. <laughs> A woman who planted churches would attend men's prayer breakfasts because she's like, I love Jesus and I like to pray. Why wouldn't I be here? This is the kind of, this is the woman who raised me, just so everyone has some context. So in the midst of a very paternalistic society, she just decided being a woman does not make me a different kind of Christian. Being a Christian is what makes me a different kind of woman, right? So she just was a firecracker. And Will you say that again? Say that again. (laughs) That is profound. Yeah, yeah. I think I think my mother showed me that being a woman doesn't make me a different kind of Christian. It's being a Christian that makes me a different type of woman. Wow. So my femininity does not preclude or exclude me from anything God has called me to do. If anything, it empowers me to do what God's called me to do. He was very mm-hmm. aware of my gender when he chose me to be on right. this earth at this time in this place. So she really did not teach me how to be a woman of God. She just showed me. She just was. Mm-hmm. You know, so I was raised by this incredible woman. She loved the Lord, a pastor, preacher, church planter, one of the only women on staff. And so 
she was really a, a huge presence and part of my identity in Christ. So my Romans 28 story starts in the room where I'm standing there watching as she's struggling for her life, right? And she passes away and I'm in the room witnessing this happen. And Athena, all I can tell you is in that moment, I realized either I'm all in for God or I'm walking away. It was that much of a cross section Mm. spiritually for me, right? So Romans 28 does not in any way say all things are good because they're not. Right. That room was not good. It was it was literally the worst thing that could I could ever imagine. But what happened from that moment is I became fearless. I felt the worst thing that could ever happen to me has happened. And I still love God. And mm. I still want to serve him. And I still want to be the woman that he's called me to be and make my mom proud. So out of that season, I started serving at my local church in a way I hadn't before. This was a celebration church in Florida. After my season of morning, I went all in for the Lord for the first time in my life. So from that season of death, her death wasn't the end of something, was the beginning of something. Right. Right. I love the analogies of Jesus. He didn't die. He was planted. Right. I love that because it signifies that life can come from death. Yeah. And so for me, from that season came this time of just reckless abandon to the Lord after my initial grief, which, which took a while. Of course, we go through the stages of grief, you know, denial, anger. I'm like, Lord, you know, what's going on here? Well, you know, I went through all that, but after that, I came out completely fearless Mm. and completely reckless. And just, I, I wanted to disturb the kingdom of the enemy and advance the kingdom of God. And so from that season was where my purpose was birthed. That's where I realized my full identity in Christ. I feel like that's the first time I really stood to my full stature as a woman of God and decided, you know what, if tomorrow it's my turn to go to eternity, I want my life to matter. Right. I want it to count for something. And so, yeah, from that season, man, God just started opening doors and you know, it's funny because people always ask me how I started preaching and teaching the Bible globally. And it honestly started with one yes, where the Lord in my, in my college apartment just asked, will you serve me? And it was one yes after another. Yes, I'll serve in children's ministry. Yes, I'll serve on the guest services team. Yes, I'll write Bible studies for my church. And whenever my pastor, for whatever reason, the prompting of the Holy Spirit asked me, do you feel like you have the gift of teaching? Athena, it didn't even occur to me to say no. I was like, I mean, I talk a lot and I love Jesus. Why not? <laughs> I love it. Like it didn't, it wasn't even a thing. I just was like, sure. I mean, we'll see. Right. And from there, it was one yes after another. And a lifetime of yeses over the trajectory of time becomes your purpose and your calling. We overcomplicate it. So that's really my Romans 8.28 story. It, it was literally spiritual rebirth that came after death. Wow. Um, it's dramatic, for, but it's real. <laughs> well, and for God to use a loss like that mm, as yeah. strong and as could have been debilitating absolutely for you, if, you know, I mean, we can make choices when we're in those places of grieving to yeah. harden our hearts and, you know, yeah. but you allow God, you, you took the time to process it. And, but you, yeah. that propelled you into that call. Boy, did it ever. That. It wow. really, really did. And, and, and the Lord has, see, I love the fact that if God opens doors, then he keeps them open. 
Yeah. He, the, the weight is on him. The pressure's on him. Grace can take you places the hustling can't. And I've just relied on his grace and his mercy and said yes to the things he's asked me to say yes to. And it's been a beautiful journey. It's one that I could never have dreamed for myself, to be honest. I remember praying a prayer at nine years old as a little girl in Nigeria and thinking being a woman cannot be a disadvantage in the kingdom of God. It just didn't fit the archetype of the character and nature of God that I knew. And mm-hmm. I prayed a prayer at nine years old. And I said, God, if you'll use me, I will do anything for you. And now at 40 to see what he's done from my yes at nine is just, it's God. It, there's no other explanation. It's the goodness mm-hmm. and, and grace and faithfulness. The Bible says he's faithful to a thousand generations. Even when we're faithless, he remains faithful because faithfulness is not what he does. It's who he is. Yes. He can't be any less than who he is just because I choose to act out. So, yeah. you know, there's a meme that I see going around and I think it's so great. It says, when God called you and gave you a purpose, he already factored in your stupidity. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank the Lord for that. <laughs> Not all who wander are lost. As it turns out, God already knows. He already yeah. knows your idiosyncrasies. He knows your quirks. And maybe someone just needs to hear that today, that it's okay. The path from where you are to where God's called you is not a straight line sometimes. Yeah. yeah. But, totally. but that's okay. God does something in the journey along the way to help you be who he's called you to be. Mm. Amen. That's a, that's a good word. So tell me kind of a little bit of the backstory of how you ended up being chapter number one in <laughs> our Black Voices of Wisdom yes. edition of the She Writes for Him. I love this story because it's as real as it gets. I think people sometimes look at authors and speakers as we are, you know, these women are are amazing. No, a lot of us are just really ordinary women and we're just doing life the best we know how. So this is how it happened. I know Cynthia from a conference that we spoke at together and we just hit it off. It's one of those relationships where you meet someone and you're like, I want to be your friend. <laughs> like, I like you and I think we should be friends. Do you want to have lunch? It was one of those kind of conversations and one of those kind of meetings. And so she reached out to me um, to find out if I could write a chapter for this book. And if I'm honest, Anything and I w- I'm in a very busy season of life. I had a baby during the pandemic. Wow. I'm in my final semester of graduate school. And I have not one, but two kids doing virtual school from home, which really means I'm a de facto teacher, right? Yes. And a proctor for tests and the IT department and everything else, right? right. And so my initial instinct was, to be honest, because I didn't grow up in America, I felt I may not be the best one to write about this because I don't have all the backdrop that a lot of African-Americans who have grown up in America do and can speak to these things from a place of authority. So my first instinct was to shrink back and say, you know what? I am really busy. I haven't processed this all the way. And I, and I really tried to say no multiple times. The Holy Spirit, I was like, come on, Holy Spirit. You see what's going on around here. You see all this laundry I have to do. What do you mean? You know, and the Holy Spirit, as he does so gently, was just just nudging me and saying, just trust God in this process that he Mm. will give you the words. He will, you know, the Holy Spirit gives us utterance when we need it. He, he, He empowers as we say yes. But I still try to say no. And I said, and I, and I give the excuse of there's not enough time. Well, then Cynthia was like, oh no, we'll push the deadline for you. And I was like, well, <laughs> Cynthia, you're not helping. <laughs> not, not helpful. Easy. Not helpful. 
And so once that happened and I really didn't have peace, you know, with all of it, I just gave in as, as, as so often we do, I just surrendered. And I was like, okay, Lord, you know what? I need to process this anyway. And I realized that I do have a sense of authority because even though I didn't grow up in this country, I'm raising three kids now who are African American in every sense of the word. (laughs) Their parents are from Africa and they've grown up in America. And so I wrote it from that perspective as a mother, I wrote it from the perspective as a leader in the church of what I've witnessed. And so, you know, I think a lot of times when we're called to do things that maybe feel a little bit out of our comfort zone, our initial reaction is not always the best one, but the Holy Spirit is so patient and kind with us and will give us a second chance and God will give us a mulligan and say, you know what, let's try that again. Yeah. I love (laughs) that. Any good parent. He's like, okay, one more time. Yeah. (laughs) Here we go. So that's how, that's how it came about. Oh, I love that. I love that. Well, okay. So your chapter is entitled Leadership in Racial Reconciliation. Tell us just a little bit of a story that you share in your chapter. Yeah. So in this chapter, I really share from my perspective as a leader in the church of what I I witnessed and experienced really in the fact of when this issue of racism comes up in the church, I think what happens is dual. There's a division and there's a separation. Neither of those things are godly. Neither of those things come from the Lord. And so it troubled me to see how we could, we were comfortable raising hands together in worship, but not comfortable sitting side by side to talk about this. There's a level of discomfort. There's a level of anger and just denial. So many things that I saw. And so I did what I should have done earlier really was get off social media <laughs> for, for a season and just really go to the Lord with the feelings that I had. Cause I did have a lot of raw feelings as a mother, of course, having to talk to my son about this was one of the most heartbreaking things I think I've ever had to do. I desperately wanted to talk to him about the birds and the bees. I was like, that's easy. Let's do that instead. <laughs> like, yeah. That used to seem so uncomfortable. And now I'm like, it's really fine. We'll just get through it. <laughs> Because this was really tough because I was stripping off a layer of innocence, doing something that we can undo. Once you're aware of it, you can be unaware. And so I really went to the Lord about it because I have a very strong sense of justice and rightness as part of my spiritual gift set DNA. And so he led me to 1 Corinthians 12, verse 14 to 27, which talks about us being one body, many parts. And I think for so long, we have thought that unity and uniformity are the same thing, and they're not. And I think also for a large part in the church in America, and I want people to hear this with a heart, knowing that I love the church in all of her expressions. I genuinely do. And I've seen the church in multiple expressions. And I think what this season revealed is that a lot of churches in America wanted to look diverse, but not be diverse. Because what you do is when you put African-Americans or minorities in performance roles, but don't have them in decision-making roles, there's going to be a disconnect because what happens then is when things like this happen, it's not, it's apparent that there's a discomfort with addressing it. And usually I think it's because you haven't had some good conversations with people to let you know, Hey, this is what is really going on. Because what the enemy has been very smart about in this season is polarizing and politicizing what is actually a spiritual issue. Yep. That is exactly right. And so if we, if we follow the rhetoric and the spin, we're going to get dizzy and tossed about and feel pulled to different directions when in reality, this is a sin issue. Sin is sin. 
there's only one cure for sin. We know what that is. And so as the church, I have my heart and my desires for us to be the example to others, not just in how we address this, how we love one another. It's not just in who I agree with. It's how I treat the people I don't agree with. Exactly. Right? All yes. of those things. And so that's what this chapter is really alluding to is that I don't want people to re- see leadership and think, well, I'm not a leader. You are because you're leading yourself. If you don't lead yourself well, I can't lead anybody else well. Ooh, so I have to lead my own self, my own emotions, my own desires, my own wills. Why am I feeling this way? I think a really important question for people to ask themselves when they talk about racism or talk about injustice in any of its expressions is to examine our thoughts. Why do I think this? What has led me to this place? Mm. Right. Um, I think that mindfulness is really important in this season. So that's a little backdrop to how this chapter came about. And, And I was really praying that people would read my words with, with the weight of love. I hope that there's a bridge of love that can handle the weight of truth because it is weighty and the enemy has been very tricky in how he's come into the church, not, not the world, but the church to deceive and divide and polarize. And it is not of the Lord. Yeah. In first Corinthians, he says, when one part of the body suffers, the other part should suffer with it. He didn't say you have to understand the source of the suffering or be afraid to get the blood of the sufferer on you. No, no, it's none of those things. It's just sit with them and suffer with them. Right. So I think this is an opportunity for the church. If we can grab a hold of it to really show the world something different, you know, and that's my heart. That's my desire. Are we there yet? No, (laughs) you know, we're not, we're not there yet, but I think we're getting there. I think 2020, 21 was a huge season of revelation. It was an invitation to repentance and an invitation to true reconciliation. Yes. You know, you know, for things to be reconciled, they have to be reconciled at one point. When was that point? When we were one in Christ. When we're one in Christ is when we're truly reconciled. So yeah, that, those, are, those are my thoughts as I, as I pen down these words. And I'm hoping to tease apart the politics and the spin and the rhetoric and bias and, you know, implicit things that we have going on that are clouding our judgment. If we have eyes to see, this is spiritual. It is. It is. I mean, as I think about it, when you were mentioning that a little bit earlier on, you know, the division and and we're supposed to be examples. And, you know, some of the stuff Christians say on Facebook is just unbelievable. You know, I can't believe it. But when you think about the spiritual element, they're offended. They go to bed offended. They go to bed angry. What does that do? Come on in, Satan. Absolutely. Come right on in. Give Satan a foothold. And then they're an example. No. Right. Right. And I think, and which is, this is where I really want to applaud you and Cynthia is that I think conversations is where this starts. When yeah. I think about Jesus and how he approached people that we would call today sinners, right? How did he do it? It was through conversation. 
Hey, can I get a drink of water to the woman at the well? Hey, what are you guys talking about on the road to Emmaus? He engaged people in conversation. He met them where they were. He didn't try to judge them or criticize them or guilt or blame them or be condescending or try to minimize or dehumanize. He just engaged them in conversation. And then with time, he revealed truth when they were ready to receive it because they knew he cared. And so if we, the church, want to take an example, that's our example. Yeah. If we cannot have a conversation about racism in the church, where can we have that conversation? Right. Right. And the thing that blows me away just about this whole initiative that came, I mean, this came out of a boot camp where Laura Simon, the one black sister with 30 white sisters and it all was a conversation. Cynthia said, how are you doing? I mean, this was like a week after George Floyd. Yeah. And just having the conversation. I cannot stress enough how powerful it is. Yeah. It's what Jesus did. Yeah. Why did he talk in parables? It was part of a conversation. He's trying to engage with words and then leverage some of that with love. And, and eventually we get to a point where we can say, you know what? I may not agree with everything, but at least I've heard this perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. That's what we as the African-American community are asking. It's not, will you go out and do this or do that or, or align with this community or this rally? That's not the goal for Christians. The goal is to listen. Yep. Listen to understand. Absolutely. That's it. And, and it's so powerful to do that. I mean, I found myself like, I had no idea. People treated you like for no reason, but your skin is dark. I mean, it it made me mad, but it was like, where have I been that I like did not even, this wasn't even on my radar. Right. And I just felt like I'm, I can't be the only one. I mean, to be honest with you, I came from a country where I am not a minority, So I've had to get my mind around all of that myself. And I write about that in my chapter of, I had to do some work of listening to my African-American sisters and brothers because I came from a different, I had a different lens. Right. So even I had to humble myself and say, I don't fully understand the lived experience. Yeah. And now that I have kids and my son, especially, I see it. I see it with him. It makes so much more sense now because I'm like, I get it. Right. Right. So if somebody comes to you and tells you about their lived experience as your job is not to minimize or rationalize or fix it or put, or give you guilt, feel guilty. I feel like a lot of white brothers and sisters are feeling guilty. Guilt does not help in the situation at all. Really? So my whole ethos is let's not look inward or to the side. Let's meet in the middle and look up. That's Mm -hmm. where we find our strength. That's where we find the solution. That's how we move forward in unity. That's how we make a choice. It's really about looking up to, okay, Lord, we need you. Yeah. We need you. We need your spirit here. We need your love. His love is what is going to get us through this. And so that really is my prayer. That's my heart. Um, I'm doing everything I can in my power, using my platform and my voice to just say, hey, we need people to listen. Yeah. There's, there's definitely something going on here yeah. <laughs> and we need people to listen. And I, particularly in the church, I find myself in circles where I'm certainly one of very few African-American women. I normally don't notice it right away until something like this happens. And then it's so evident to me 
oh my goodness, we're looking at this from two different perspectives. Yeah. Right. It's like two different lived experiences and where that divergence occurs, if we're not careful, the enemy will come in to try to divide. Yep. But in reality, the things that unite us are way more important. And just the volume of them are so much higher than the things that divide us. Yet the enemy is making those things that divide us seem so big. (laughs) It seems so loud. The chatter is so loud. Yes. So loud. It drowns out the still small voice. Exactly. 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 So yeah, that's my heart, Athena. That's what I hope to accomplish with this chapter. And I hope this book, I have a lot of my friends that bought it. And to be honest with you, every time someone tells me they buy it, I get a little nervous because I'm like, I really want to know. It's like when you have a baby and you put the, your baby in someone else's hand and you're like, oh, just take care of my baby. It's my baby. Yes. <laughs> I want you to love my baby. <laughs> well, we have already gotten so many responses from women who have read it and just been absolutely, you know, eyes open, like, wow. Yeah. Everyone needs to read this. I mean, that's the kind of, that's the kind of feedback we're getting, which is encouraging. That's so great. I'm glad to hear that. Well, thank you so much for being part of the process and adding your voice to the rest. And I mean, I'm, I'm just excited to see what God does with it because he's on the move. Yes, he is. And thank you so much for inviting me to be on this journey with you all. It has been an absolute joy. Honestly, the Lord has done so much, even just as you know, writing is such a therapeutic process. Yeah. <laughs> it helps you examine things from the inside out. And um, the Lord has done a deep work in me, even, even just with writing it and just processing some of the things that he was teaching me along the way. So I hope people are blessed as they read for sure. Amen. Well, it's been a delight to have you on today on the All Things Podcast. Thank you so, so much. If people want to find you online, social media, well, online, you must have a website. That's <laughs> yes, probably I do. the best place to <laughs> yeah. start, right? Yes, I do have a website. I um, It's mercy, my name.com, mercylocalusa.com. I do have a Facebook and an Instagram. I will just let people know, though. I am a little bit like a sniper on there. Not very much machine gun happening where I'm just blasting out posts. I mean, once in a while, I'll have a very focused, directed (laughs) post. But I do, if people send me messages, I will respond to messages for sure. Wonderful. Well, we will also include all your your website and your Facebook links in the show notes. So thank you so much for being with us today. It's just been a delight. Thank you, Athena. It's been an honor being on this show. Thank you for having me. Oh, you bet. All right, we are back for the second segment in today's All Things Podcast. Let me introduce you to Evelyn. Dr. Evelyn Johnson-Taylor is an ordained minister, theology professor, and a published author. Certified as a communication and linked personality coach, she enjoys helping others achieve their dreams. She has served as a ministry leader since 1987 and uses her own experiences and scripture to empower those who want to see the promises of God manifest in their own lives. She and her late husband, Pastor Scott Taylor, founded Good News Bible Church in Gaithersburg, Maryland, and Good News Global Ministries in Wesley Chapel, Florida. The two served their Florida congregation until 2010 when Pastor Taylor's health began to fail. Evelyn's experience as a 10-year caregiver for her husband led to her current ministry of offering a message of hope and encouragement 
to those caring for loved ones. Through her own experiences and the testimonies of others, she has seen her message of self-care resonate with caregivers who feel overwhelmed. Evelyn serves her community as an ordained elder at the Word of Grace and Truth Ministries in Tampa, Florida. She sits on the advisory board of Senior Connection Center, Inc., a nonprofit organization that provides resources for the elderly and disabled. And she is a volunteer with AARP. Her philanthropic work includes fundraising for research into neuromyelitis optica, for the Mayo Clinic and fundraising through the National Christian Foundation to assist caregivers. She pursues both in memory of her late husband. Using the platform that God has given her, Evelyn has seen lives transformed. She holds an associate degree in nursing, a Bachelor of Arts in Women's Studies, a Master's and PhD in Ministry. Evelyn is passionate about encouraging, empowering, and equipping women to win. She believes that every woman has a purpose-focused dream and wants to help her make it a reality. She enjoys walking outside, reading, and spending time with her two adult daughters and son-in-law. All right, let's roll that conversation. So I have been looking forward to reconnecting with you, Dr. Evelyn, and hearing more of your story as it relates to the new book that you are part of that she writes for him, Black Voices of Wisdom. So welcome to the All Things Podcast today. Thank you, Athena. It's great to be here. Yeah. So before we jump into your chapter entitled Raising Black Daughters, I would love for our listeners to hear a little more about how God has worked like a Romans 828 God that he is behind the scenes in your life. I mean, we've all got lots of Romans 828 stories, but would love to hear one of your favorites of how he has worked things all together for good. Yes, I do have several stories. I think the one that I would share would be, I was a caregiver for my husband for a decade before he went to be with Jesus. And it was challenging, to say the least, to watch someone that you did life with, raise a family, ministry partner, become disabled at such a young age. My husband was diagnosed with cancer at the age of 48. And some of the, just some of the difficulties that we encountered during those years from finances, he was the breadwinner of our family, uh, questions, and that he was a pastor in ministry. And we had prayed for many people to be healed and saw God work miracles in the lives of other people and just believed that God would do the same thing for us. But that was not the way our story ended. And in the midst of all of that, our daughters were young. One was in middle school. The other one had just started high school. So we were challenged in trying to keep our children centered and hold in the process of watching their father deteriorate. And just all the things that were happening in our lives at that time, having to step away from ministry, him having to, because he was disabled, so he was no longer able to work. But one of the things that was always constant, and that was the faithfulness of God. 
and that all that we experienced and everything we went through, God was with us, walking us through it and just keeping us through it. And what I learned in that experience and what that experience taught me is that life is about seasons. And some of the seasons, as we know, one of the seasons of the year is winter. And sometimes it may seem like we're in a winter season for a long time. But God is faithful in all of the seasons. He's God of the spring, God of the summer, God of the winter, and God of the fall. And when my husband went home to be with Jesus almost three years ago, it really left a void in me that I didn't, didn't think that I would ever really be able to recover from. But what I came to understand was that Scott had finished his assignment. He fulfilled his assignment as a husband, as a father, as a pastor. And on that day in the hospital room, a chapter of my life ended, but my story was not over. Mm. So what I learned with grief counseling was helpful to help me learn that as well, that I learned to carry the grief with me as I move forward. And counseling, as I said, was helpful in that aspect. And I like to say to Christians, especially because I think sometimes we put a lot of pressure on ourselves when it comes to things like grieving, because we want to be strong. We want to be an example for others. And we want to uh, give off a certain perception of what people expect from us. But to understand that grief is the price that you pay when you love someone. And it's okay. And the scripture does teach us that we don't grieve as those who have no hope, but it doesn't say that we don't grieve. So one, one of the things that I would like to say is to be honest about what you're feeling. It's okay to grieve a loss. And what I recognize that, that I was left here without a husband, which God knows everything. So I know that because I'm still here, he has a plan for me in the new season. And it's okay that I have that void and that I miss my husband, but it does not mean that I cannot continue to do what God has called me to do, even in this stage or this season as a widow. Hmm. That is so good because, you know, as Christians, we, I don't know, somehow think that grieving is unspiritual. Yes. Like there's, like, we're just supposed to go, well, God needed another angel in heaven or go, you know, all we just, here and some people say things like that to us they do because- and i and i think that's the culture of the christians and people do say things like that to us so we grow up here in that and that becomes our example and for me it was important to me that i take my time and and just sit in the grief and experience it because i knew just like every other thing in my life that god had used to help other people that he would use that to help other people as well and it and i can tell you it wasn't many months after my husband went to be with jesus that one of my closest friends lost her husband mm-hmm. and i was there to help comfort her and i didn't feel i was ready because it wasn't that long for me but one thing i wanted to show her was that I understood what she was experiencing and that she could just watch me and see that I was still standing, maybe crying sometime, but I was still standing and that she would be okay as well. So good. That's that second Corinthians. We are comforted by Jesus so we can turn around and comfort others and 
to be able to say, I know, I do know how you feel. I mean, yeah. we can't always say that, you know, sometimes their loss is different than our loss, but we all experience loss and that's where Jesus comes in and comforts us. So we can be that comfort to others. So I love the example that you set of just being okay with sitting with it and not like a lot of times we'll self-medicate with work or with whatever we can do to be busy. So we don't feel those feelings, but just sitting with it is an opportunity to embrace, you know, that pain so that it can refine and do teach us lessons that we would never learn without the pain. Yes, exactly. Hmm. Wow. I love that. That loss, God took that thing that was super painful and allowed you to minister to others and, you know, just be a more effective example because you're just being real about it. You're not trying to be the perfect Christian who never has doubts or never has trust issues, (laughs) you know? Oh, I love that. So important. Yeah. Yeah. So um, let's move into the She Writes for Him, Black Voices of Wisdom. You are um, chapter four, where you share raising Black daughters. Tell us a little bit about the story that you share, and then maybe what you are hoping that this book will accomplish. Well, I chose to write from a mother's perspective, because I felt that that was important for me. As a women's ministry leader, I interact with a lot of women. So I wanted to write from a mother's perspective. And let me just say up front that my husband was very much involved in the upbringing of our daughters. He was very much a hands-on father. In fact, if you'd ask them, they probably would tell you that he was more hands-on than I was. But I wanted to contribute from a mother's perspective. And I was so honored to be a part of this project. And just based on what I knew growing up as a female child, and of course, as I said, years later, becoming involved in women's ministries, and I saw some of the struggles that women had in knowing their value and the identity issues that they faced and and how their confidence at some times had been affected. And while it may not have been race motivated, we do know that from various studies, how valuable it is to the development of a child and the confidence and the identity component that they see people who look like them. And that's what I wanted to write about, that representation aspect. And even in movies and television, some of the studies that we read show that it's not only important that children see characters that look like them, but they also hear characters that sound like them. So when a child grows up not seeing people who look like them in positions of power and authority or role models or even peers, it can affect the way that they see themselves and cause them to feel like maybe I don't belong or who am I? And my husband and I, we you know, we made the choice to live in the communities that we lived in. And and I write about this in my story. And we made the choice to send them to the schools that we chose to send them to, Christian school. And so those were our decisions. And as adults, we were comfortable and confident in who we were. And we'd already lived our formative years. 
but our children were the ones who were having the experience of being in a, those communities and, and being in the school system. So we had to be intentional about how we, we related to them and how we address the concerns that they have as they were growing up. And I want to say, let me just say this as well. Thank you, Athena and Redemption Press for recognizing the need for such a project and to be able to start an open dialogue and communication between people who are different from me and different from you. And perhaps to just begin to see the other side of the coin, if you would, and understand that people live different lives. Our experiences are different. And yes, we look different, but that's not a bad thing. It just means that you see me and that you acknowledge who I am and then maybe take it a step further to say that you value who I am. Thank you. Well, and it has been just so eye-opening for me because, I mean, this whole book just came from a, it didn't even seem like a, like it was planned. It was just a conversation that we had with Laura Simon, the one lone black sister in a group of 30 women in a boot camp online. <laughs> and to just have that conversation say, how are you doing? I mean, it was the week after George Floyd, you know, that whole incident. And yes. she got to share things with us that we were all like, what? You know, just we, I mean, I just felt like I had no clue what my sisters go through on a daily basis, just because of the color of their skin. And that just, yeah. you know, we needed to do something about it. And this was, this was a big thing that we just really felt called to do. Great. Amen. <laughs> and I, and I remember when my youngest daughter was, she was just beginning school and at Christmas, the teachers, they would, dec- her teacher would decorate the door and put angels on the classroom door. Each child's name would be in one of the angels and all the angels had white faces. And so I asked the teacher if she could get a black angel for my daughter, because to me, it was an opportunity to educate. Yep. And as you said, it, it, it's just not something that people think about. And thankfully, the teacher, she was receptive and she went out and she found a black angel and put it on the door with my daughter's name on it. And the thing, the thing that I think is important is that, and what that story kind of reaffirmed, is that we look different, but that's not a bad thing. Right. And that's so good because there's a lot of things that we share. We have commonalities just as being believers and women and, you know, pain and struggles and all those things in our lives. But in fact, this happened in that conversation with Laura. Cynthia said, well, you know, when I see you, I don't see color. I see Jesus. <laughs> and Laura was like, don't say that because <laughs> if you see me, you see that I do look different and that's not bad. Yes. So now we knew what she meant. Yes. She was talking about her heart. It was well-intentioned, yes. but that's insulting. And we, it was like, wow. And I think, and you're absolutely right. And people, they do say that. They say, but we all are God's children. And of course, we are all God's children. We know we are all God's children. But do you see me and recognize that I'm different 
And that's okay. Because when you say you don't see color, then does that mean you don't recognize that I'm different from you? Exactly. And it's, you know, I think, and praise the Lord that the teacher heard you and recognized that need to have reality represented. And that that's just so good. And we need, we need more of that. I just think we, for the most part, do not have a clue because we haven't had the conversations that have awakened our minds to realize, okay, we are minimizing the reality when we try and show that everyone looks like us or thinks like (laughs) us or talks like, I mean, how self-centered is that? But, you know, I, I didn't even know I was doing it until that conversation happened. So that's, I think that's the power of the conversation about the topic that will really begin some change. Yes. And I think, and for the majority of the people, especially those of us who are in the body of Christ, our hearts are in the right place when we say that. But my husband and I, one of the things for us is we were intentional about making sure that our daughters had representation. And we exposed them to things that perhaps they were not getting in their small white Christian school. We, my husband would sit down with them and, and take the encyclopedia and teach them about black history, helping them to be strong and confident in who they were. And we tried to empower them by giving them a voice and letting them know that it was okay to to, to speak what was on your mind, you know, not disrespect for anything like that, but if they had questions, certainly it was important that they bring them to us so that we could address their concerns and not just dismiss things. And we were very active and intentional about being involved parents in the school and in the community and, and the teachers, they knew us and we never went in being disrespectful or anything, but if there was a concern, we addressed it. We didn't just dismiss it and say, oh, it would pass, or oh, that's just the way it is, or, or don't worry about it, but we would address it. And not only for us, Athena, but for other children, minority children who were in this same school or maybe the same community. So we spoke out for all of them. So I believe, I do believe that representation is important. And I know that children of any race can, can struggle with low self-esteem, but Black children, what's unique to them is that representation piece that I believe is so important, that they see people who look like them doing things that are positive and see people who look like them in positions of authority and then take that extra step to make sure that those experiences that they're having that we shared with other parents you know, and other children by inviting them to be a part of our community as well. One of my daughters talked about a friend who said she'd never seen a black Santa Claus. She didn't even know that there was such thing as a black Santa Claus. So she came to our home over the holidays where we had several black Santa Claus on display. So letting them see a side of our world as well as exposing, exposing our children while exposing other children to, to our, our world, what was important to us. That's so good. And you know, that representation, People who are willing to say the truth, but in love mm-hmm. and have hard conversations. Yeah. Because I know for me, I like avoid confrontation <laughs> at all costs. And and that's 
that's not a good thing. You know, we have to really be in, just like you said, be intentional and not shrink away when something isn't right to educate. And that's, that's what I feel like you're doing in your story. And as a collection of women, we're, you know, presenting that to those who maybe have never even thought that there was a problem or dismissed it or minimized it and just, Oh, get over that. You know, you know how Christians Uh, can be very judgy. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that is the, the gist of this project to be able to open a dialogue and to have people ask questions like, like you and Cynthia asked Laura that night to be able to ask questions. Because if you, if a person, I believe that if a person really wants to learn, then they will ask questions. It's very easy, as you said, to just dismiss it, not bring it up. But if you really want to initiate change, then you ask questions, you know, what can I do? How can I help? And that is what Redemption Press did for presenting an opportunity for this project. And for that, I am so grateful. Mm. Well, thank you so much. It's been just a delight to have you on the show. I've known you for a long time. And so it's exciting to be able to actually have you on one of my podcasts and have this conversation, have you be part of this project. If, If we have some listeners who would like to connect with you on social media or online, what's the best way for them to do that? My website is a good place to connect with me, and that's evelynjtaylor.org. They can connect with me there. And then, of course, I am on Facebook, not the other social media platforms. Facebook is Dr. Evelyn Johnson Taylor. Twitter, Instagram, at E-V-E Taylor. Okay. Yeah. Where would you say you're most active, the best place for them to... The, web, the website. There is a contact page on the website, and I get any, a notification immediately when someone reaches out to me, and I can respond immediately. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. It has been an absolute delight. Thank you. Well, thanks for joining us today for the All Things Podcast brought to you by Redemption Press and the Romans 828 Bookstore. So, hey, I'd like to ask you a favor. If you would, consider sharing this episode with your friends on social media. And if you haven't yet left a review of the podcast on Apple, I would love it if you would take a minute to do that as it would help other people find the show and also let them know that it's a show worth listening to. So thanks so much for joining us today and I will see you next week. Bye for now.